0: Mutuality Matters podcast sponsored by CBE. And we extend a very special welcome to those of you listening to this particular themed podcast entitled Global Impact, Egalitarian Activism, and Human Flourishing. I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled to have my podcast co partner here, Kim Dixon, who comes to us from California. She is a colleague here at CBE, and you'll hear more about her life. And we'll start with one very important question. Kim, what are you reading these days?
1: Well, I just read, again, the book of Amos. You know, I've taken several Old Testament classes, and um, they reference Amos a lot. And I thought, oh, I read them over and over in the days when I read my Bible through every year. And they never made any sense. (laughs) So I thought I would read it again now, now that I understand more of the timeline. And it was really powerful. Cool. What struck you? Well, Amos is just a shepherd, and um, there were professional prophets in those days. And he says, I'm not a professional prophet, but he has an ear to the weak in society and the marginalized. And he is prophesying at the time that Israel is at the height of its influence and power. And he is prophesying to them about their treatment of the poor, the weak, the marginalized um, that are being taken advantage um, to benefit the wealthy in society. And so it really resonated with me this time because I understood it. And I feel like it has a lot of applicability to our world now.
0: Right. Very important, high-octane stuff. Very important. Thank you. Yes, Amos, the prophet, very, very key to our world today. So, Kim, tell us about uh, connecting on to that. Some of the events in your life around you know, justice themes that has sparked your journey into this very conversation on global impact of egalitarianism worldwide.
1: Yeah, I've had a heart for the global world since I was a little girl. I had wanted to do medical work internationally. And so at 21, I did a pre-med internship in North India with a really neat Christian hospital association called Emanuel Hospital Association. And I saw some of the most atrocious things done to women um, because of the belief systems around women, and that really shook me to the core and made me start to understand how Jesus really is good news to women. It also really opened my eyes to the idea of uh, public health or community health and development And so it rerouted my path from looking at medicine to going into public health, where you get more at the foundational issues of what is causing um, sickness, disease, or not flourishing in communities. And not surprisingly, I mean, it was to me when I was young, but I've learned since then that the status of women is a huge indicator about the Um, health of a society. So where you have low status of women, you have a much weaker, uh, lower life expectancy, higher infant mortality, all kinds of statistics um, that are worse when your status of women is worse. And I really think that our Christian faith and Jesus' focus and elevation of women every time you interact with them has a direct parallel with this.
0: Would you say that's how you wove your interest in public health into a degree in theology?
1: Yes, it definitely is. Um, I think when I awoke to Jesus being good news to women and the power of community health and development, uh, I went went and worked in uh, North India. I studied in Egypt. Uh, I did part of my internship with my public health degree in Kenya and Tanzania, and through it all I was seeing seeing the status of women and Jesus empowering of women every time he interacted with them so By the time, about five or six years ago, our nation was kind of doing a turn and there were some horrible things coming out and being said about women and the evangelical church didn't really um, stand against it. Some people did, but the large majority didn't. I stopped and uh, looked at my faith again and thought, had I... uh, I created my own faith that wasn't reflective of what Christians actually believe and I looked at the history of the church and I didn't see the history of the church being particularly empowering of women and so I started seminary uh, to see the roots of this belief system that did not empower women and to look to see if I had created my own faith. Mm.
0: A very, very important question. And what have you come up with any answers, Kim, to that key question?
1: Yes, I think Jesus is on the side of women. (laughs) I actually think the the Old Old Testament is. And that takes us back to Amos, where he was on the side of the people who didn't have the power. And uh, women from the earliest time, Of patriarchy have not had power and yet they have been powerful in their influence and saving of their people their families and humanity and that pattern we still see in public health we still see that when women are given any kind of um, help they change their community for the good Uh, So I was happy with my uh, Master's in Divinity studies because it reinforced what my heart already knew was true.
0: Mm. So as you think about biblical interpretation and the status of women, can you give us some examples from your own life working overseas, how that has played out as real-life examples of that relationship?
1: Yes. Um, so I, when I went back with my master's in public health, I again worked for the same hospital association. And I worked in an area that had established a hospital specifically to reach women and children because half the population in that area at the time was Muslim and they couldn't be seen by male doctors And so in the name of Christ, um, a doctor, Dr. Alito Bell, established that hospital specifically to reach women. And I loved the heart of that. Um, And then when I was there, we received a huge UNICEF grant. And so we were in the villages and we had assembled a, a large team to work with. And our work just was not making much impact and our staff we did a lot of great training with our staff and we kept asking for their feedback because they were the ones on the ground in the villages and most of our staff were young women and that was purposeful they're the ones who can go into the homes of other women and women are the gatekeepers of health in their families and we kept asking them you know what do you think how should we do this what are the best approaches and they kept saying oh i'm feeble-minded why are you asking me at the same time, there started to be some domestic abuse on the campus between couples and I just asked my director, you know, can I just do a Bible study on the value of women? And he, his response I found very humble because he said it's really important that as a team that. different places that we recognize that other people can see things we can't and you're recognizing this abuse in a way that I would not and so yes you can have the Bible study but it does need to be voluntary which actually was good because then the girls who came were the ones who were genuinely interested I had four really dynamic girls that joined me and we started in Genesis just going through scripture and the first thing we went through was the description of a woman as the ezer, the strong rescue, and what that actually meant because my English Bible says helper and theirs was something close to that and so we talked about the fact that this is the helper like God rescuing Israel helper. This is a rescue. And that was a bit eye-opening. Yeah. Maybe you would like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was eye-opening for them. Then we went, got onto to Satan um, deceiving Eve, and my English Bible had Adam standing right there, and their Hindi Bible did not. And their Hindi Bible also inserted a theological explanation for why Eve was tempted and it said it was because she was feeble-minded. And all of a sudden there was this aha moment of my staff are not contributing to our work in the village because, as they said, they are feeble-minded. And that is written right into their scripture. I have done some research since, and um, William Carey was a renowned missionary in India, but part of his translations, he would insert theological explanations for things. And so some of those are still carried over even into the modern translations. Once these girls, yeah, once these girls realize I'm not feeble-minded, and I am a strong rescue, They raised their heads high. They contributed in the meetings. Their work in the villages transformed. And they were working with women's groups and their women's groups transformed so that the women themselves stopped saying an Indian phrase, which we would hear a lot, which was similar to my Christian staff, but the village women would say, we're water buffalo. We are stupid. Don't talk to us. And instead, they started organizing themselves, and they started understanding that the health of their village was poor because they were not drinking clean water. And the reason they did not have clean water was because the wealthy government officials in their village had taken the funding to put the clean water in their own personal courtyards that were not accessible to the rest of the village. So these women's groups went and sat in those car- courtyards and said, we're not leaving until you install clean water for our village. And they did. Amazing. Install installed clean water. Yeah. The health of the village is dramatically improved, and that makes a difference for everyone, boys, girls, men, women. When kids aren't sick with diarrhea from, from poor water, All of a sudden, they're not as malnourished. They're not prone to every other disease. They can think better. They can learn better.
0: Uh, You must have been so energized by those experiences. And it sounds to me like you energized others, which is the journey of a Christian. Uh, So when you came back to the U.S., Kim, and what sorts of... Similar experiences have you had in the churches where you live that may remind you of those experiences?
1: Well, uh, I live in Northern California, and about 13 or 14 years ago, the issue of sex trafficking, I think, made it onto the radar of most Christians in America. It made it onto my radar. And our church pastors asked me if I would lead uh, an anti-trafficking ministry at our church, and to all of our surprise, it just took off. We ended up uh, starting a ministry that helped the FBI when they rescued girls out of sex trafficking that ended up being recognized in Washington, D.C. for its effectiveness. Uh, We helped establish a home for girls that were rescued out of sex trafficking here in Northern California. Uh, We began all kinds of adoption ministries, adoption support ministries, uh, ministries that looked at at at-risk youth and wrapped around them to try and prevent them from getting trafficked in the first place. It was very powerful and the church really, it didn't matter their background, they stood up and said this is not going to happen on my watch. And they sent our family back to India to help establish a home for girls rescued out of sex trafficking in India as well. So that was a great global and local outreach. Mm -hmm. The frustration with it I think um, comes that I think the church is starting to understand a bit the international issues and the extreme issues of abuse against girls and women. They understand intuitively that this is not God's heart. This is wrong. And they, they wanna be on the side of changing it. But it's, I think, hard to then make the connection to our own theology now. And I think that's where a lot of the work still needs to be done.
0: Right, uh, the expression when the U.S sneezes the rest of the world is at risk for pneumonia uh, is an expression I've heard and I wonder uh, in working with helping to break down the um, lack of empathy and impunity just the lack of awareness of the plight of girls and women where you've worked what can you give us some examples of, of some experiences you've had with Christians in your area trying to raise their consciousness and bring these issues more give it more visceral power
1: yeah I think that most people have a really good heart and interest in being on the side of what is good and right and just they just often don't know what it is and they don't understand it so where they can have any kind of personal connection, I think it makes a big impact. Um, my pastor started reading, and he read Half the Sky by Nicholas Kristof, um, I'm forgetting the co-author, I think it's his wife. But it really explains um, how the empowerment of women changes society for the good, and by, by keeping them down, um, everyone is sicker. And weaker does not flourish as well. And as he started to think about that and integrate it with his theology, he started to see the connection. He went to India with us to see what we were going to try and establish and that really opened his eyes. And I think that a willingness to look at things differently and the opportunity to see things outside of our own small world makes a big difference makes a huge impact
0: great yeah so actually being in the country and reading that particular book connected some dots for your pastor and you had a a role in you know opening those conversations yeah so when you see the immediate needs uh in addressing christian patriarchy as it lowers the status of women what what do you see
1: What I see in America, uh, especially with complementarianism, is a theology that says Jesus has done so much for me um, that the least I can do is honor him by being submissive to my husband, or to my church, or however that is. And that, that willingness to turn the other cheek, really, is a Christian value. The problem with it is that Americans do not see the, the far-off consequences of that theology, where it becomes exaggerated to the point that women are expected to be abused, and that is their Christian role. Um, they don't see that they're supporting abuse of women far away. And so somehow that needs to be addressed. I'm not sure how, but it needs to be addressed.
0: Right. Right. And, and of course it's true in the United States as well that this turning the other cheek and submitting despite uh, character issues in their spouse is, you know happens worldwide. But when influential, as you say, influential Christians who go abroad and build homes and hospitals and have enormous respect and influence, largely because of our economic and educational um, abilities, that uh, um, brings a real power imbalance wherever we go.
1: Exactly. Well
0: said. Okay, so now if you had a million, let's say you had $10 million, because million dollars <laughs> used, used to be a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, $10 million and you just, the Lord gave it to you and you knew it was on your heart um, to use that to lift the status of girls and women. How would you
1: go about doing that? Well, I feel like I would like two different approaches. The first approach, from that small Bible study I had in India, it became very apparent that the scriptures we have in our hands influence what we believe, obviously about ourselves and about our God. So I would love to fund um, scripture around the world that is accurate and accurately reflects God's view of women and children and different types of people so that That is the starting point. But then from the starting point, we need people who understand what it's saying and are able to teach and preach it. And when you have mostly male ministers and leaders in the church, they don't even notice that women are being presented or treated as second-class citizens. And most of them have really good intentions. It's just not their life experience, so they don't notice it. So I think that I would also fund their education so that they see the women in history, they see the women in the church, they see the women in scripture, and they start to understand the huge impact they have and how much Jesus relied on them. So that it's actually taught to them in seminaries and Bible schools so that they recognize it in scripture and they can start teaching it to their own congregations, their own organizations.
0: Wow. And I'm going to pray God gives you $10 million because I love your approach. Because CBE, of course, is working on a Bible translation project to address the very things women in the 1800s came up against, like these flawed translations where there's a great deal of liberty taken by translators and interpreters. And also you know, allowing women to be part of that process, I think, has a significant, uh, significant impact. When you, um, would you have some wisdom from your own experiences, as you shared so richly and generously, the ways that they might be able to work in their communities in practical ways?
1: Well, you know, the easy answer is their time, talent, and treasures. I think that, if people are really interested in this they need to look around and say how can I be involved in what's going on right here in my own community and there are women's shelters in every community um, domestic violence there's transitional homes that are doing great programs for homeless women and their children and when I worked with our church's uh, transitional home for homeless women and children half of those women had been um, sexually abused, and um, pimped out on the streets just to survive. But they don't have the vocabulary to understand that they were trafficked. (laughs) And, And yet they were. So I think getting involved in these ministries and actually really seeing what's going on and then really searching Scripture to see God's heart for women and children it starts to transform your world, it starts to make connections. I, I would say get involved also internationally, get involved in supporting children, in world vision, in um, seeing what is happening around the world that when you empower a woman, for example, if you give, um, the studies show this over and over again, if you give a man a hundred dollars in a village and you give a woman a hundred dollars in a village, he'll take it and go buy a bicycle or a motorcycle. She'll take it, and she'll take her kids to the doctors. She'll buy them uniforms and enroll them in school. She'll start a small business so that she can feed them better. When you invest in women, women, then that takes care of the children, it takes care of the whole family, and it takes care of the community. And I think that people need to get involved so they see that, and they need to start giving their money to support that as well.
0: Yeah, that's just wonderful. Christoph and Wudan, the book you cited earlier, they have lots of examples, uh, these small steps we take that have a huge impact. They noted that when the suffragists were fighting to give women the vote in the United States and we finally succeeded and the uh, Constitution was amended, immediately after women gained the vote, that following year... Infant and maternal mortality drops 70% in some places, which shows the power of women's leadership at the tables of decision-making where they their voice is most needed. And unfortunately, Christians have been taught that this is against the teachings of the Bible when, in fact, what's often in the way are very flawed translations and a history of it interpreting those passages as women are feeble-minded. And so I'm just grateful that you're part of this project, um, upending the reading of scripture and life through a patriarchal worldview and switching over to a God-given worldview. And I just pray that many people like you, Kim, around the world are mobilized and have access to the kind of life experiences that you so willingly shared with us today. And I just wanna thank you for that. Thank you, Mimi. (laughs) And thank you, listeners, uh, for joining us on our very first podcast, Global Impact, Egalitarianism, Activism, and Human Flourishing. We'll talk to you next month. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.